and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I sprayed me in my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Les Snead is the general manager of the Los Angeles Rams, a position he's held for 11 years. He was hired in 2012, and we're actually going to talk about how to create sustainability and longevity in that position and handling the ups and downs and the stresses that come from losing and also the accolades and adulation that come from winning and the roller coaster that is sports. In his role as general manager, he partners with head coach Sean McVay to direct all personnel decisions for the football team. He hired Sean McVay when he was a 30-year-old, and we're going to talk about that decision and what went into hiring a head coach at such a young age. Sneed coordinates all aspects of the club's football operations with Coach McVay and joins forces with COO, Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Kevin DeMoff, and Vice President of Football and Business Administration, Tony 
pastors to direct the team's business ventures. And Les is going to talk about in this conversation how he works with Kevin to also impact and to have communication lines open with ownership. And we talk a lot about in this conversation, the power of alignment and how important it is for Les to work hand in hand with his head coach and also the ownership group. And his tenure has been marked by strategic, aggressive moves that have created a strong core nucleus of talent and depth throughout the roster. And we use those words like talent, strategy, aggression throughout the conversation today. And we talk about when to be aggressive and when not to and how strategy impacts decision making. And we also talk about how the importance of creating a team and not just assembling talent. If you follow the NFL, you know that the LA Rams have had a lot of success lately. Under Les's leadership, they went to the Super Bowl in 2019 and they won the Super Bowl in 2022. And it's interesting to talk to Les about those experiences and the duality that comes with finishing second, which he'll call almost winning like a silver medal compared to what it's like to win a gold medal and win a Super Bowl. So this conversation is deep. You're going to love the nuance in which Les speaks with. He loves to read. He loves to learn. He's a super curious guy. During our entire conversation, he was taking notes and I could see him taking things from our conversation that he was going to bring back with him. We didn't talk about it, but he also likes to journal and he loves to read. So those are big, big parts of who he is and what his identity is and how he leads an organization that's had some success lately for sure, but that he's trying to build into a contender year after year. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you Les Sneed. Les, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We could start in a million different directions, but I thought the simplest, cleanest way for us to start is with Sam Walker. Uh, Sam is who connected the two of us originally, and I've gotten to spend some time with Sam. I know you spend some time with <clears throat> Sam. Can you talk about Sam and the impact he's had on you and the organization and how he's helped shape or help consult or frame how you see culture, leadership, and the organization that you continue to build with the LA Rams? But I think if if you do, if no one knows who Sam is, he uh, he's an author of a book uh, uh, titled "The Captain Class." So really, it's about dynast- dynastic uh, sports teams, and he, and he took a deep dive in trying to figure out okay, what was maybe the the golden egg, the secret code, the cheat code per se of of what what made those teams? Where, where were the things that made the teams tick? Uh, obviously, there's many variables when you're probably a, a dynasty in sports, uh, but in sports, there's this element of a collective, a big collaboration project that's that's got to be very competent. A lot of people working together, a lot of diverse people working together. So what he found is uh, in those teams, there was a usually a central leader, uh, not necessarily the star player. Uh, not necessarily the coach, but uh, someone on those teams that uh, hey, w- was the leader of the team and provided uh, provided the team uh, some tools that were needed to to go through the the journey and adventure of of winning a lot of games, a lot of championships over a lot of you know a span of a lot of years. So, with that being said, he's obviously someone a general manager might want to reach out to. Uh, we did, and we definitely asked him to kind of join the Rams as a consultant 
Uh, and what I call it, it, you you'll appreciate this, Brian, is there's this element where in sports, if you're if we're in player personnel and scouting, a lot of times that's physical talent, right? What and that's a big part of it, right? Can can a player can a player's mom, dad, God given gifts and it's all blended together become a useful skill in sports? Can that skill help us get over the top? And then coaching may be designing right schemes systems to to help those players uh climb to the top of the hill but it, so sam's looking at it from a view is like wow he is really specializing like a i call it a chiropractor is he's really specializing in who are leaders who are potential leaders on this team how do we develop those leaders and the overall chemistry of the team does our team is our team missing a certain type of tool that a certain type of leader can provide and if we are missing that how do we fill that void from the outside looking in you've had some cornerstones in your team when you think of aaron donald and cooper cup and these guys are superstars at their position uh highly effective and have been with you and, and part of a core but you've also seen other vets uh come and, and vets also go what does the outside looking in get wrong when they look at your organization what do people outside the locker room not understand about what the heartbeat or the glue or the leadership of the LA Rams is. It, it, that's a, there's many variables to the ecosystem and, and the way, and, and let's start broadly at the top. The NFL is probably very, very popular because the majority of time, most teams are the majority teams, right? Have a chance. It, it, in terms of finances. So in baseball, probably in some premier leagues where there, there are some, some teams, organizations that just financially college football may be going through that right now with NIL and collectives where you, you just have more money in the bank to write, build a sports team, whether you're spending on players, coaches, uh, systems, what have you. So that, that's a neat thing about the, the NFL is we're all on a, equal financial playing ground, whether you're in a small market, large market. So with that being said, there's in, within the ecosystem, there is. Hey, less all- less. Can I just, I just want to interject here because the average fan may not even realize what you're talking about, but the national TV money that the NFL brings in gets dispersed amongst all of the teams. Whereas if you look at the NBA and the NHL and major league baseball, like the Yankees own their media network. Um, I remember looking at the dollars that went into like the LA Lakers compared to the Oklahoma city thunder or the Toronto Maple Leafs compared to the Winnipeg jets and the dollars that come in from a media standpoint and from a ticket revenue standpoint is significant. Whereas in the NFL, it is more of a collective. So I want to make sure people understand like it's literal dollars and cents that goes into the teams and and the money and the money uh, generated. That's what you're referencing. Correct. Excellent point. We all have a, in a sense, a family budget. And so you have so much money to spend and, and we're talking people, but a family, but you have so much to spend on your house maybe so much to spend on can you can you buy a pool what kind of car can you drive all those things and the point you're probably getting to is and it's it's probably the hardest thing in sports is there's always going to be change and when do when do you move on from maybe a veteran player who provides a lot of those leadership type skills a lot of the wisdom that that uh 
age actually provides, you, you maybe go, okay, we're going to get rid we're going to, we're going to move on from that person maybe because, and they also paid more, right? They have tenure per se. So they're paid more. And when do you, you move on for someone younger, but Oh, by the way, that, that someone younger may have more potential, maybe uh, right. Young, Sprider, all of those things, but oh, by the way, wow, missing in the in the leadership thing. So I think I think what you and you can go back and we can get nuanced, but I think that the thing that probably with the NFL, our team, uh, that people really there's all every year um, the team the team is going to change, and it that's the the art form is trying to figure out right how do you how do you what parts of the pieces of the puzzle. Do you keep which pieces do you let go? And then anytime there's a disturbance uh, in that pond, on that puzzle, the team is at that point different. And that's what we're doing. I know Sam's focused on on leadership and and guys that might be outside the, the superstar and how they would create sustainability for their team. In other sports, I always look at head coach, general manager, owner. Um, and, you know, in, in the NBA, it might also be like a superstar player, head coach, general manager, uh, owner. In in college athletics, I look at the head coach, athletic director, president of a university. And you see this alignment take place. Um, in the NFL, sometimes you'll see quarterback, head coach, general manager, owner. Obviously, in, in your situation, you've changed quarterbacks over your tenure. Um, but can you talk a little bit about your relationship with ownership and your relationship with your head coach and how that sustainability or that alignment has impacted your ability to do your job and um, what you've learned in bringing Sean on uh, and also working for an owner who happens to also work in other sports as well and um, has some experience in, in the sports world? Uh, Stan's doing well in sports these days and he's winning, you know, it helps. Yeah. You could, we could enlighten the audience if they don't know, right. He's got a Stanley cup, a super bowl, an NBA championship. Am I leaving anything out? I know he has also has a lacrosse championship, I believe. Yeah. It's been good last couple of years, but look, look, there's also a lot of losing for, for you, for everybody in sports, right? Like it's the thing about sports is you always get humbled. There is no, there's no like mountaintop that you're going to win all the time. Um, and, and I think what I'm curious to get a sense behind the curtain is your relationship with Stan and your relationship with Sean, because while Stan has a lot of experience and, you know, had, had yeah. been working in sports and you've been working with him for a long time, I'm from Washington, D.C. Like, I followed the Washington football team here for a long time. Like, I remember when Sean McVay was the tight end coach, and Chris Cooley, our radio guy, was saying, this guy's the smartest guy in the locker room, and he was like 27 and 28 years old. Um, But for you all to hire somebody that's 30 years old, right, who doesn't have all the experience that most football coaches have, I, I would imagine ownership has to give you the green light to do that. And I'm curious about that dynamic as it plays out post Super Bowl, pre Super Bowl. Like what is the relationship oh, yeah. like when you think about uh, those two people? Well, that those are very key relationships starting with owner and, and each owner step. There's 32 owners in the NFL. There's 32 teams. So they're going to be, they're going to, they're each very different. Uh, and they're going to have different styles of, uh, you know, how they lead, how much a part of the, let's call it the day-to-day decisions uh, that they choose to be a part of, and then how much, or are they more 
big picture, hands off. Stan's a little bit more big picture, hands off. He's going to hire people like myself. In in, in our organization, uh, Kevin Dimoff, our team president, uh, is probably someone that we rely on a lot because he's a proxy between Stan and often us in terms of the communication with Stan a little bit, communicating with Stan on what we have going on day to day. But Stan's personality, his leadership style is hire experts uh, or who he thinks are experts and let them go do their job. So Sean and I talk about it all the time. We have one of the best jobs in sports because of that. And that definitely fits Sean and my in in our my personality as well. It's like okay, we we love okay. We're we have the responsibility. Let's go do it. And and with that being said, the the relationship with Sean is extremely important. Uh, and with as you mentioned, general manager, head coach uh, have to work together. Uh, have to be aligned. Doesn't necessarily mean we have to like say agree on every decision agree on every philosophy, every paradigm. But the important thing is, is for us to be aligned on, right, who we hire, who we bring in, the systems that are in place uh, to allow the people that we do bring in to work together. And they do their part to make the Rams better. So that's, I would say this, Brian, if I walk in the building every day with, with probably if I got to get one thing done during the day, obviously the to-do list is a little bit bigger than that. But if it comes down to one thing, it will be uh, working on that relationship with Sean. Whether whether they're, whether over the last two days we've had some harder discussions and and okay, this day we definitely need to sit down and and recalibrate, make sure we're on the same page, and and, and you just put you move everything else to the side. And, and that's sometimes very hard to do. We're very, very fortunate. Sean and I actually like each other. Uh, so, and going back to your third question, you may, in a minute, and I, you can always interject some a little long. The answer is yes. When you hire a 30 year old coach, uh, the owner's got to sign off. And at the end of the day, the owner's making the hire in this case, Stan charged us to bring, uh, to go out and interview and bring qualified candidates to him. In this case, Sean was the only person to meet with Stan. And in that moment, it was Sean and Stan and they had dinner together and Stan listened to the research, the analysis, the assessment that we provided, but also, you know, at that dinner, uh, really, really meshed with Sean and felt like, okay, he's, He's the way he's the he's the direction we want to go. And boy, let me the magnitude of that, Brian, is that was going to be year two in LA. Year one in LA, we started three and one, finished four and twelve. So it wasn't an easy hire. Like it was the let's call it the NFL's move back into this market uh was probably hinging on. This or this was a big, big hire. I uh, don't want to say the whole move to the LA market was hinging on it, but we're about to, we're going to open a new stadium, SoFi, all those things, all those variables, and for Stan to sit there and go, you know what, I'm going to give the keys to the franchise to Sean McVay. I mean, that was a that was a big moment. And as Sam Walker has said since then, 
like in hindsight, however many years later, a lot of people will mention when they do hire a young CEO or a young executive to a to a key position. Sam has often said, and I think he even wrote a Wall Street Journal column where people will talk about, hey, this is a Sean McVay type hire. Yeah, it's interesting because where I go to in my mind is, well, what about you? Um, what about Stan, the owner, allowed you to take that risk knowing that there was so much on the line? What what inside of both you and him allowed you to say, hey, because it is risky. It's an unknown. You took a, a, a more unknown person uh, than go a route where maybe something that you'd 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 seen before you'd work with or someone who had already had success. What allowed you guys to be able to take that risk at that time? Really good question. And I, a, a good friend of mine, fortunate to have him as a mentor. Uh, and Brian, I want to make sure is that, can you hear lawnmowers out there? No, That's it's good. one of the amazing things and we'll leave this in. It's not a big deal. When we record these, people are always worried about like construction in the back. And I don't yeah. know what's happened, but the last few years in Zoom, uh, you can you often don't hear it. So you're good. We can keep going. Zoom is evolving. I love it, applying lessons. But so Jim Collins would say, hey, uh, he has this metaphor analogy, sorry, where you shoot bullets before you shoot the cannonball. And the the, the whole premise is, back in the days when in, in battles when let's call it you're probably navies battling each other and it's dark less technology you only have so many cannonballs right you only have so many big cannonballs to fire but you have a lot more smaller bullets and you would shoot these little bullets and then all of a sudden you would hear the bullets maybe ping uh the ship so you may keep you know shooting and you okay this is probably the center of the ship and now you fire the canning ball. So you mentioned earlier, Chris Cooley. I think in this, the he a head coaching search is is it's probably shorter than most CEO searches, right? So it is it is a condensed timeline, but it is very very intense. So there's let's just go this. Let's start here with Chris Cooley. Uh, people like Chris Cooley, who Sean coached we were able to chat with players because he is 30. And, and it's interesting. It didn't matter whether that player was on offense, defense, whether it was a quarterback or maybe a skill player. Each one of them really, before they could articulate that Sean was probably the best teacher of football they had ever had, it was almost like they were mad at you for calling them and not, hey, why hadn't you hired him yet? That's a no-brainer, but and you're trying to, hey, but we would love to hear why you think it's a no-brainer. Hey, you better hang up and hire him. Are you going to – so it was that type of uh, reaction from 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 the key people in, 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 the, in the Washington organization. I, you, then you can bring your analytics team in, and there's some metrics that you, you dive deep in on offenses. And when he was calling plays – with the Washington Redskins. He was top five uh, at their offenses with him leading it were top five in a lot of very, very key, key categories. Uh, and one of them being uh, receivers, receivers catching the ball with space right between them and the defender. And what that usually means is it's not that your receivers are just so are just faster than anyone else that they're just getting all this space. It usually means that 
within your schemes, you have people that are pretty much wide open and that skews uh, the stats. Uh, so that's one thing that's, Hey, that's him producing on the football field, Washington. It wasn't like they were Super Bowl champions. It wasn't like uh, RG three had been injured. They were doing this with a quarterback that they drafted late in the third round. So they, it, there was many components, right. And I call them little bullets where you're like, okay, he's checking a lot of boxes of being, a really, really good football coach and actually uh, probably producing at a great level. He's shown he can develop players, build relationships, players. Now you just shoot your, your cannonball to make that higher. But I think when you present all of that to Stan, uh, and a lot of that is objective, not just subjective, then Stan can really sit down and go, okay, I, th- I can mesh with this person, this person's authentic. This is somebody that I want to have a relationship with and someone that I want to lead my football team. All right. There's two really key ingredients here that I want to unpack. And I've been so curious about this for a long time because every year, if you're a fan of the Washington football team, I don't know what to call them. It's, it's complicated, but if you're a fan of that team, which I remain a fan, uh, it's in the blood. Uh, I will cheer for your team. I will cheer for other friends that I have, but Like my son will go to the Washington games and cheer for them. There's two questions here. One, it's been well-documented that they had other people on those staffs that have been brilliant head coaches and have gone on to do amazing things that were also very young. And so the first question I'll ask, and I I will not couple these questions, but there's another question I want to get to beyond this. Internally, how do you make sure that you're not always looking external when it comes to promotions? Um, because there were opportunities perhaps for the Washington football team to look internally at some of their talent and put them in positions. By the way, Sean McVay was an offensive coordinator at a very young age. So they did that to a certain extent. They gave him opportunities, but I'm sitting there being like, okay, they had him. They had Kyle Shanahan. They had, I think LaFleur who was, they've had, they had all these guys, the guy in Minnesota. I mean, you know, all these people, but like, do we sometimes have a blind spot and go seek for something externally and have a blind spot toward an internal talent that might be right underneath our nose. Um, and and that could be even with your front office, right? Is there a young scout that's doing a great job that you can create an opportunity for, or somebody in your medical department or a trainer? I mean, like, it, how do we make sure that we're not ignoring the talent internally for something maybe sexier externally or something that has a better resume externally? And I think that question goes beyond sports and into the business world as well. If, if we know we have someone talented, how do we make sure we're promoting them, developing them, and and I don't want to say keeping them, but helping them continue to grow internally? That's the first part. And then I have another question that I don't want to stop. We'll get to your second part because that – so number one is right, a sports – in sports, it's such a, especially football, it's such a sophisticated collaboration of a lot of human talent, players to coaches to staff. So there's oftentimes, right, you, when you're winning, sometimes it's hard to figure out, okay, who's who's why you're winning or who's more important. And and let's go this, and this I think this is the hardest thing in sports is, what if you're losing, but you have a Sean McVay on your show? So in sports, oftentimes that person gets punished because we're we're often in sports measuring, outweighing really the scoreboard, 
right? And in, and we're now we're saying everyone in the organization is a loser. And so it's the hardest thing is where go ahead. It's my second, it's my second question. So right. My second question was going to be, how do we evaluate the process rather than the outcome? Right. Because that, that is it right there. If you have a um, wide receiver that is doing his job really, really well, but the quarterback's missing him a ton, that doesn't mean that that wide receiver is not necessarily good. Or you have a quarterback who doesn't have any time to throw the ball and they're just getting hit nonstop. That quarterback still could be effective. And of course, if we go to the coaching staff, like you could have a stud linebackers coach who is doing an amazing job every day, but the secondary struggling or because the defensive line is, you know, not doing their job. I mean, there to your point, there's so many factors that go into winning and you know this now because you freaking won a Super Bowl, right? And you got all the flowers and all the accolades and you, everybody probably gets a little too much credit. Um, and it's the same thing when you Be, lose, it's like a little too much. Play. You think anybody who's listening, who's a sports fan, you'd have to let's set it up where your favorite team has been losing for three, four years. And finally, probably everyone's celebrating. We have blamed it all on the head coach and that person is fired. What if your owner decided, well, we're going to go with our tight ends coach as the new, and he's on our staff now. Now, Andy Reid was a tight end coach in Green Bay and was hired to the Eagles. So with that being said, I think in sports, I often say a lot of times, if you cannot worry about the offseason headlines and just focus on whatever you do in the offseason, do you actually uh, believe, do you think, have you assessed that there's a good probability that what you've done in the offseason is going to lead to some semblance of progress during the season? Usually you can weather those headlines, but in sports, right? And your ticket, there's an element of, is anyone going to show up to the gate? But let's just say that you've lost four years. You fired your head coach and you've just hired your tight end coach. He's Andy Reid. You've got to be able to be disciplined and and it's going to be well-deserved headlines. What are you thinking? Why didn't you go hire a tight end coach? Number one, you're going to probably get ripped for, hiring a tight end coach instead of a coordinator. Number two is why didn't you go get the tight end coach from the Super Bowl champion of that year? So I think that's the that's the hardest thing to do. And, and we see that oftentimes in sports is, wow, can you believe that Matt LaFleur was in our building and now he's, you know, one of the more successful, he's probably had one of the better runs of a young head coach's start in his career. Can you believe this person was in our building uh and, and that definitely happened so it's it's interesting does i've often thought is it easier for maybe a less public a public company that may have been let's call it having some down years but they're not a spotlight like maybe amazon or disney is, is there a possibility for them to be down and they go okay we're going to move on from the ceo but we're going to hire from within it doesn't seem like okay. You just take a pounding from your, you know, your stockholders. But it, it, it definitely. I can. We can go on and on. We we signed the player, Sean's first year, Robert Woods from the Buffalo Bills, wide receiver. He had been there four years. He was a UFA. He had really probably, he had really only had maybe his highest year of 
yards was maybe four or 500 yards. But at that point in time, their offense wasn't a very timing offense. Sean's a precise timing offense. So they had had some quarterback issues. So we felt like when we signed him, oh, he's a really an ideal fit in Sean's offense. Now, from a headline standpoint, we got beat up a little bit. Why would the Rams think this is really helping the Rams? They're going after, you know, a wide receiver has only had four or 500 yards a year. And and with us, Robert ended up having, you know, a really, really good four to five years with us. But it, it was really person and situation. It, we felt like our situation – he was the person that fits our situation. Maybe Buffalo's situation was not. First time I saw something like what you're talking about was when Danny Ferry took over as general manager of the Atlanta Hawks. We've been fortunate to have Danny on the podcast. Uh, he came in. He hired Mike Budenholzer, who had been with the Spurs for like 20 years. And him and Mike worked in collaboration to figure out what type of players they wanted, what system they wanted. And literally, I would have conversations with them about getting rid of, they had this player, Josh Smith, super talented, could block shots, dunk champion, highlight reel. And they were replacing him with Paul Millsap, who is a blue collar um, rebounder, undersized four and I was talking to them, they're like, yeah, we think Paul can be a three-point shooter for us. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He hasn't made any threes. Like, yeah, we looked at his mechanics and we think that, all right, we're going to bring in Kyle Korver and we think Kyle can play this role. We think Damari Carroll can play this role. And they really thought about the system and how the players fit the system. And it was the first time I, I realized is like, you don't just shop for groceries. You have a list, you know what groceries you're looking for. If you go to the grocery store and just look for the nicest things, you're going to come back and then those things are going to rot, right? Because you're not going to use them and they're not going to be productive for you. And, and for me, it was the first time I realized like, wow, if you're intentional about what groceries you're shopping for and you have alignment, because I had seen general managers previously say, we're going to give you this guy, go make him good. <laughs> He's talented, go make him good. No, they were going to work together. And by the way, that head coach would say to the GM, we don't want this player. I don't want that style. That's not what we're looking for. And the general manager would go, okay, let's find some, some other alternative. And they'd work together and they'd collaborate. The NFL is a little different because I feel like the head coaches are so involved when it comes to the draft and player personnel. But can you talk a little bit about that alignment once again and how important it is for the head coach and the general manager to know what groceries you're shopping for and how that impacts what we see on Sunday? Excellent. I, I think to start off, the, the head coach and general manager always we're we always here with the Rams, we always, hey, we're building a team, not just collecting talent. Now, talent, we define talent sometimes is that's 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 what mom, dad, God blessed you with. Usually, right, we're in, we're in a in sports, it's usually going to be some physical, right? It's going to be how high you can jump, how fast you things like that, how big you are, how you know, how wide you are. There's this is just that sports, physical gifts mean something. Now, with going deeper than that, there's going to be some element of intangible, all that's going to blend together, and you're going to have a useful skill. And that's where you get into probably what you saw with Danny and Mike was okay. There's and the and the coaches have systems, and not every player's useful skill, even though they may be very talented, they're gonna thrive better, right? In the eye. So you're gonna want a square and a square, a rectangle and a rectangle. And when you bring a triangle to a square, even though that player may be talented, things like that he may not produce right as 
as good as much as well in that particular system because it's just the wrong you're just using him the wrong way so i think that's the that's the toughest thing you have to do in sports is is and and take i, I don't know basketball as well as you do in football a coach's schemes, whether it's on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, and even this segment called special teams, there's a rhyme and reason, right, to what you're asking, as nuanced as your offensive linemen are. And I now I'll keep it, we'll we'll do this. In offensive linemen, a lot of times there's a what would be called a gap scheme. And a lot of times offensive linemen are going to be bigger, but slower footed in those schemes. Because when they run the ball, it's going to be more north and south. Then there's what you call zone schemes. And linemen are going to be a little bit smaller, but they're going to be probably faster, quicker. And that's because they're going a little more east and west. They're going to go sideways first to try to get the defense running. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be leakage gaps and the running back is supposed to hit. So point being in that is if, if your coach, Mike Shanahan, was – basically maybe invented the zone scheme. And and if you, no one knows Mike Shanahan, you can probably Google him, read about him, study him, and you can figure out, holy cow, seems like he could draft a running back in the seventh round and the running back's going to the Hall of Fame. All And there's many people that helped him with that zone scheme. But if you, as a general manager, would have said, you know what, Mike, I believe in big linemen, I believe big, bigger linemen, slower-footed linemen, more powerful linemen, more Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, maybe it doesn't work for Mike. And, and, it, and that's as nuanced as it is. That's simple. Uh, but that's what you have to do. You have to really, really be in tune for, okay, what is your coaching staff asking a certain player at a certain position to do within that scheme? Going back to, right, basket, you, 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 may, need, you may not need a sexy score, because you may be ha- you this is how you're going to score in in this particular case you may need a rebounder someone who's going to set picks you need that someone who's going to be a little more we not me I'm going to do things that no one ever notices but it's going to help maybe the people who are noticed more do their thing I'm glad you brought up the Ravens because we've had on a few Ravens on the podcast Matt Stover Tori Smith and I've asked them, hey, what made the Ravens so successful for the years that they were successful? And they would talk about their leaders um, and how collaborative their leaders were. And I didn't realize this until I worked with the Division One football team. I didn't play football growing up. Um, you mentioned like the three phases, but let's just talk about offense and defense. At halftime, when I'd go into the locker room with the team, the offense would go on one side of the locker room. The defense would be on another side of the locker room. And I didn't realize how segregated um, a football team is. And you've got this offensive side and the defensive side, and they're big teams. I mean, 53-man roster. And in college sports, they have 105 guys on the team or whatever it is. Um, and what they said about the Ravens were they were like, the offensive guys collaborated with the defensive guys. The defensive guys collaborated with the offensive guys. And I'm obsessed with collaboration because – if I talk to sports guys 10 out of 10 times, they'll talk about competition and they'll say, we need to have a competitive spirit. And so I, I don't think I'd ever talk to a sports person, whether it's a player, coach, or general manager in which the word competitiveness will not be brought up. And I've been around sports teams where they have competitors, guys that want to take each other's you know throats out and just win at all costs, but they're not necessarily collaborative. 
right? They'll play hero ball. They'll try to do too much. They won't set someone else up. They won't do something extra for someone else. They might do an extra rep for themselves, but they're not necessarily thinking, how can I make other people better? Can you talk a little bit about culturally, how do you create a culture that's competitive and collaborative? Again, art form, very hard, why it's not done consistently. Uh, let's start with the the collaboration part. And, and that is, and again, it is a very, it, Jim Collins, I'm going to give him credit. He's the one that said, wow, it is one of the more sophisticated, right? Human collaboration projects he has ever seen. So let's go to a little how nuanced and hard it can be, like you said, with your offense and defense is, is let's say the defense is playing well, the offense is not and so overall on the scoreboard, you're losing more than you're winning. But normally, but in a normal situation, a defense playing that well would be win. So there's that element there of okay, winner, winner the when in the Ravens case, the collaboration between offense and defense, in some cases, it's now, oh, the defense is going to begin blaming the offense. So now we're now we're not marching forward together. It's almost like we're, we're pulling apart. And so you can just see how that goes. And I'm sure that goes on in normal businesses. And that's why everyone's trying to figure out this culture thing where let's say there's a, maybe engineers think we have a really, really good product and they're blaming sales and marketing for not selling. So I'm, it's such a, a very hard, hard thing. So now you get into probably when you talk to the Ravens, is when you do bring in people, uh, specifically the Rams, what we like to do is we want to bring in people who, for whatever reason, and it might not even be healthy, it may be, it may be unhealthily imbalanced, but our self-esteems are probably unhealthily associated with the Rams' record. So that's our scarlet letter, our record. And so what I'm trying to get to is, is in sports, in life, there are people who are going to be maybe a tilted or more obsessed with individual accolades, individual excess in sports. I If I score 30 points a night, I'm fine with being on a mediocre team that uh, loses in the play-in round of the playoffs. But I would rather be that score than a 18-point score night on a team that makes it to the conference finals. You there's, get my drift? Yeah, there's Go something ahead. here, though, that I hadn't really been able to articulate or put my finger on that I'm, I think I'm about to. So stay with me here. Let's see if we can figure this out. I play basketball on Wednesday nights. It's definitely not playing football on Sundays, right? But in my world, it's still like two hours of competing, sweating, trying to make shots. When I make a good pass and a person misses a layup, my reaction and response to that person is to get behind them and let them know, hey man, you'll get that next one. Like, let's go. Let's get back on defense and make a play. One of my buddies, when he makes that pass and that guy misses the layup, he gets, he's like, how'd you miss that? Like, dude, how can you, how can you miss a layup? It's a layup. Like what? It is a very different response to what just transpired. 
instead of blaming, I get into support mode. I get into like, how can I help this person? How can we make sure that that person is going to make the layup the next time? And, and I'm wondering in the recruitment in the talent assessment in the free agency and trades, like, do we sometimes forget about that element that when the shit hits the fan or something bad happens or we experience failure, is this person going to look outward to blame or are they going to say to that, or are they going to look to support? And it's like a very distinct difference. And don't get me wrong. There's a time to check somebody if they're not trying. Like if that guy's not getting back on defense, I'll say to him, get your ass back on defense, right? Like that's that's different to me. Um, and yeah. leadership sometimes requires telling people what they need to do, even if they don't want to hear it. But the idea of do you blame or do you support when, when we're in struggles? Like I would imagine Ray Lewis, when the offense was struggling, would go up to the quarterback with a Trent Dilfer, whoever it is, puts his arm around him. Hey, man, we need you. Let's get that next one. Compared to saying like, dude, we, we've stopped them five times. Can you all go down and, and get us some freaking points? Right. There's there's this rub there that is a a collaborative rub versus a competitive, like a, a blame rub. And and I'm wondering if we could like scout and assess for that, because to me, those are the beautiful teams, right? When they say, Hey man, we're going to keep stopping them on defense. Y'all keep figuring out, is there anything I can do to help? Do you want, is there, Hey, I noticed they're doing X, Y, and Z or Hey, put arm around them. Hey, I noticed all you got to do is plant one step and you're gone or whatever the thing is, but is it supportive or is it blame? And it feels like a lot of us take different approaches when we're in the foxhole. Some of us will point the finger and blame. And some of us will say, Hey, let's try to figure it out. Let's, this is a challenge. There's this psychological concept about, you know, when you're facing hard things, are you threatened by them or are you challenged by them? And to me, like, I want people that go toward a challenge. They're not going to get threatened and tighten up and start pointing the finger. So I just went on a little bit of a rant because I think it's not a concept I had completely flushed out in my head, but the guys I'd want to be in the foxhole with are the ones that when I'm struggling, a kicker missed a field goal. I want the guy that's going to put their arm around the field goal kicker and be like, dude, you make this every day in practice. You're going to get the next one. As opposed to the guy being like, how can you miss a field goal? Do your job. Like you suck. You're a kicker. Like, I, that's just who I want to ride with. Um, so I don't know. Does any of that make sense to you? Cause you are in it with these guys and what you see and what you notice, and you have been on teams that are championship caliber teams. Is there anything you notice in, in the water uh, amongst what you've seen over your years of experience? Uh, yeah, I think the answer is yes. And I think we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. And then at that point in time, a lot of times you're, let's just call it in the, in the draft process, or it may be a little bit harder to figure out how that young player who was in college is going to handle going, even going back to your comp com competition where the, the stress and drudgery of uh, being now in professional sports. Uh, sometimes it's so competitive that, uh Oh, you just passed. A, there's a lot of good books. Uh on that about hey sometimes the ecosystem professional is just too stressful for certain people and and the same and, and that would get into this because I do think at the end of the day mo the the kicker who misses the field goal the guy who made the layup whatever the that person's intention was to make the layup make the field goal and they probably are already battling their internal demons of missing the layup field goal. So I do think over time, broadly, the the teammate who supports Pats on the back, uh, you'd rather have that than the other. Like you said, and Sam Walker is really good at the nuance of there is a time when maybe 
you have that person who's really gifted, but maybe wants to take a little bit of break on defensive side of the ball. And you do need someone to maybe challenge him, uh, you know, threaten him, embarrass him in public. And it, oh, it, it motivates him per se. So there's all those, chem, you know, all that chemistry is blended together of, of really how you navigate in our case, a 17 game season. So going back to that offense defense thing, if you have an ecosystem, a lot that can take a step back, look at it from 30,000 feet that, okay, this year we got a really good defense and maybe the offense is, let's say the offense is not necessarily uh, there yet because maybe young quarterback, but still competitive. I think the better teams then support each other, learn how to win ugly. And the teams that feel like, oh, we have to win pretty every time where offense, defense. I think those are the the, the I think those are the organizations, teams that will win consistently. Jim Collins will say this, right? Numbers probability probably says you're in a 10-year span, you're going to uh, what, what would it be? Three or four. If you're lucky, three or four great seasons, how are you going to handle those? What what do you call it? The he called it the uh, wilted salad years, where you're you're not necessarily great, but can you actually be good, above average, still make the playoffs? Maybe not make the playoffs, but have a winning season, but never have a losing season. So I, I think that's that's all part of pro. It's more culture. It's more blending of all the personalities of the people right performing their jobs than it actually is probably talented skill. Yeah. Once again, from the outside looking in, it's one of the things I have a lot of respect for Seattle. The Seahawks last year had a good year. They're in transition with their quarterback and a lot of their older guys. And you watch them and they're just competing and they're doing it sort of the Seahawk way. And okay, they don't win the Super Bowl, but from the outside looking in, you're like, man, that seemed like a pretty damn successful year uh, from my perspective. I want to go to your, your team a little bit. I'm going to cut you off real quick, Brian. Yeah. Too. Going back to ownership, head coaching, continuity, Pete Carroll, John Snyder, uh, their ownership stayed within the fan, obviously have a dip, but usually when you have alignment and continuity, Teams will, right, even though there's going to be ebbs and flows in a natural cycle of life of a sports ecosystem, when they're when they're when they're, they're down, they're still competitive and they don't stay down very long and you see progress. They might not always have the Legion of Doom and and Russell Wilson in his prime and, and playing for Super Bowls. But usually we've seen it with the Steelers. Usually they're going to be right a very, very competitive team year in and year out now whether they're great good but I, I wanted to make the point being usually those organizations have ownership head coach GM there's continuity there and usually when there's continuity there's a lot of alignment there is that the advice you'd give to Josh Harris let's just use the newest owner on both the Washington commanders obviously he's in others other sports as well but is that if he calls you up and says hey Les you guys won a Super Bowl you went to the Super Bowl the previous year uh, you've had some success there. Is that the advice you would give to him? What else would you would you share with an owner that's trying to build a winning uh, organization? Good point. I would probably say you're trying to build a winning organization. That's different than saying you want to have success this season or next season. 
So with that being said, and he's probably done things in his life, right, where he's built something that is, you know, uh, withstood the long term. And so there's an element he wants to be authentic. He wants to be himself. But I'm betting in those moments there was an element of patience. There was an element of of, okay, here's what we're going to try to do. And then there's going to be a plan and there's going to be obviously steps in that plan. And then along the way, there's going to be adversity and adjustments and then right lessons to apply, but stay the course, be patient. And if someone once said, right, you can't build Rome in a day. Uh, that's actually uh, right. I actually believe in that. I, what, what, heck, how long has that saying quote been around uh, often in today's society, right? We're a microwave society, especially in sports. Uh, don't necessarily want to apply that. Easier said than done, though. I believe you played golf when you were a kid. Uh, and I, I love the phrase conservative targets and aggressive swings. And um, the idea being, hey, aim for the center of the green, but take an aggressive swing, like swing away at the thing. And what I find is sometimes people take conservative targets and then they take a conservative swing, right? They take a swing based on fear. And if I think about what y'all have done, like, you know, hey, we know what our target is, but we're going to go take a risk and be aggressive and hiring Sean McVay. Hey, we realize that we have a good quarterback, um, but we think if we take an aggressive swing here and go after someone else, we can get over the hump. Like this idea of, hey, let's keep our targets conservative, but let's not make our swings conservative. And I think that sometimes is what you see. And and without getting into all the nuance of the Washington football team or the last couple of decades it's like they never had that figured out for whatever reason it maybe they go with aggressive target aggressive swing then it's good you know conservative target conservative swing and even with you all trading draft picks like there was an aggressive swing with the window that you had and i've heard you talk about this we don't need to get into all of it it's like yeah you you change your course a little bit you try to figure things out you you you, you need to be nimble but the conservative target aggressive swing thing that stayed me does that resonate at all with you as very if it yeah, and it, I think going in our golf analogy, if you if you're let's just say your first two, you're you're just starting the tour, or whatever, right? I, we were saying the building all the time. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing, and and what is the main thing? Let's let's try to be good at football every day. Let's try to do something good for the Rams every day. That could be our team nutritionist, that could be our QB, our backup. QB. That's every role, right? Main things, the main thing. You all you can control today is try to do something that helps round football. If you're that golfer, really, you probably year one or two or three shouldn't think, okay, I got to win the Masters this year. But if you do what you were saying, right, where you're going to have conservative and I'm going to swing aggressively, eventually you might wake up one day, and that's a little bit what our analogy was, is, wow, I'm within three shots of the lead on Saturday at Augusta. And it wasn't because you just said, Hey, I got to win the masters. It was probably more, you know what? I just got to conserve the target swing aggressively. And then, but in that moment, and it's a little bit what we did, it's like we built, we broke through while wow, we're in this window of contention, we had objective evidence that we were one of the better one, to two to three to four to five teams in the NFL based on production on the field it's like okay maybe now is when we it, it, I, sometimes i said it was even easier because it's like you have this puzzle and it's like 
you, you've got it pretty much filled out. You're at your you're summer vacation at the cabin and you're like almost within five pieces. But the five pieces are right over here. But it's very clear what you might need to, on paper, have a chance to be one of 32. But those pieces over there cost a little more. But you're like, you know what? I'll pay $5 instead of $3 for that because that's the piece we need. That's and, and and again, it's it's through it's all taking the model and assessing. Hey, where are you at? What phase you're in? What when are you in? And you got to be very aware and be, be very brutal. And you can't just have hope. It's got to be okay. We know, we know. So that's a, a little bit. But the key is is fundamentally like that golfer that that plays for the championship. And and I think the gentleman who just won right the British very similar seems like a nuts and bolt golfer very well respected and just showed up every day, tried to be the best call for him. Next thing you know, seems like in that tournament, he probably led from start to finish, but on Saturday and Sunday, he was in contention. And at that moment, I am sure, right. He did a couple of things uh, that he might not have normally done to try to grab that British open championship. You mentioned stress a little bit earlier, and uh, I talked to a general manager in another league who told me that Theo Epstein, who was the general manager of the Boston Red Sox and then the Chicago Gubs, he was the general manager for 10 years with the Red Sox. And then he was the general manager for 10 years with the Cubs and had success in, in both places. And they said that Theo stepped away from both with this idea that I think I should be the general manager for 10 years, and then it's run its course, and let's move on to somewhere else and something else. And now he's currently, I think working for major league baseball. He's not working specifically for a team right now. I bring that up because you have a hall of fame, all world defensive tackle and Aaron Donald who said, Hey, I'm going to retire at age 30. Like I'm done. Like, and I believe he's now 32 uh, and he's playing for you guys this year. And then you have a head coach in Sean McGee. Sean McVay, who's been very open about the toll that coaching has taken on him. And he's not sure how long he's going to be able to sustain uh, his desire to play. Now, both these guys are considered top of their profession, top of their position, whatever you want. And they're both talking about, I don't know how much longer I can do this thing. In my research with you, I haven't heard that from Les Snead. I haven't heard Les say like, yeah, I don't know how much longer I'm going to want to do this first of all have i heard it wrong uh and my question is more around sustainability and burnout and and how you think about that for yourself and what you've observed with those two guys who have been pretty open about the the toll uh, obviously for aaron there's also a physical toll that goes on from playing a game like football but w what's your thought on sustainability and burnout and excellence uh weave that in to a, a picture for me because I think you have a front row seat for yourself and then also for some of these high achievers. Yeah. Really, really good question. Hits home with us based on all the variables you just mentioned uh, and learn something too. It's, it is, wow, Theo, 20 years. I, you know, if you're 20 years of what he did and cause there's times and, and I've gotten a chance to, to meet Theo, do not know him well, obviously respect him. I mean, Holy cow. What, I mean, that in sports, that's being able to what Cubs and Red Sox and getting them out of there. 
championship slumps. I mean, it, it seems like that should be a 30 for 30 or a Netflix series or something. But I, so you're on to something. Uh, so with us in particular, especially with Sean, all of us, the, here's what we're blessed with. And we, we talked about that a minute ago with the Steelers. And we mentioned Pete Carroll and, and John Snyder is we're blessed. We're fortunate or we've earned whatever you want to call it. This element of this variable of continuity. So we intentionally this offseason and it was with Jim Collins, you know, at his kind of think lab was, OK, how do we how do we make sure our continuity is an edge for us and not stale? Right. Because you continuity can be OK, we're we're burnt out, we're stale. So that's that's one thing. And you got to be very, very intentional about it. And especially with with Sean and all he accomplished and the stress and drudgery uh, of that definitely takes a toll. And, and Jim Collins will say it. If, you, if you're trying to accomplish great, there's going to be stress and drudgery. There's going to be elements. of. Now, you got to try to keep it in balance. And at that point, there is a point where it can become too much. And, right, you need, you need to step away. What we intentionally tried to do is, is there a way, right, to – step away at different times during the year, uh, probably sporadically, instead of just, hey, retiring. And a lot of times you see in sports, especially with coaches, you may retire, take two years off, get refreshed, get bored, and I want to get back in. And it's like, well, that's that's not necessary. Could we, could we be intentional about using continuity as an edge, but also being very, very aware that there is stress and drudgery involved. There's going to be – how can we help Sean be intentional about taking time away, delegating more, all of those things you need to do so that he can still execute his superpowers. Uh, and, and the same with players, right? There, there comes a time and, and players are going to be different because age does definitely limit what they can do. But usually the great ones, there's probably that moment where <laughs> you've made enough money and I often say to my family sometimes, you know what? Every now and then, Brian, there is the, there is probably a season, a game, and maybe is where you go, you know what? It'd be nice not to have to step in the ring today and either try to win or a game and, and maybe lose, right? I always say it's like a boxing. <laughs> Every now and then you just – it'd be nice to have a Sunday where, guess what? You don't have to fight Mike Tyson and, boy, we're going to try to win. But even if you win, you know you're going to – be sore the next day. So there, there is those moments of how you intentionally navigate that in life. And, and, and as Jim would say, there's you probably to prevent burnout, you you probably can't be result oriented, right? The 365 day process has to be so fulfilling to you. Let's call it, you get in flow with that process. It's it's like I said, the, it's the, it's all the days in between the competition that you're addicted to, uh, that fulfills you, uh, that gives you meaning, uh, that you can probably sustain, withstand. But if it's all result-oriented and you have to be the scoring leader, you have to win so many majors, you have to win so many championships that's probably when when burnout's gonna get you it's interesting we've had on um, bronco mendenhall um i don't know if you know bronco but oh bronco's one of my favorite he's coming to visit camp 
So you mentioned it. I'm only going to say it. I would say this. This is he's one of my favorite coaches of all time. I actually had a son go play, start at Virginia with him. But point being would be this as a dad, as a GM, if you have a kid, you want that kid to go play from Bronco Mendenhall. It's not going to be easy, but your kid's going to be closer to adulthood and be closer to thriving in adulthood after spending years with Bronco. So go ahead, Bronco. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know all that. <laughs> Small little football world. But uh, yeah, when I had Bronco on, you, you know, on this sabbatical, stepped away from a dream job at University of Virginia and, you know, he's taking a year off. And I got him when he was taking his year off. And, you know, it, he's, first of all, he's brilliant. Um, but it really got me thinking about sabbatical. Then I had Tara Vanderveer on like right after that. And Tara is the head women's basketball coach at Stanford. And Tara talked about, she got to a point where she was going to get burned out and she loved going to a lake. I think, uh, she's from like Minneapolis originally. So she'd go up to the lake and just decompress. And she went to our athletic director and said, would you mind if I spend the summer at the lake and take those like two, three months to just be there? And when Tara said that to me, what Bronco did, I respect the hell out of, but I don't know if I want to take a year off from doing what I do. Like I love it. And, and I don't, I, I don't know if I want to take a year off. It's scary. It's probably too scary for me to be honest. Um, but two or three months, that seems like way more feasible. And for, I think most people, yeah, if you can take a year off in, in academia, it's, it's very common. I've had a bunch of people on the podcast who've written books and work at universities and they, they can take a year off every like seven years and get paid a lot of their salary. But when Tara said that to me, yeah, I wanted two months in the summer is really, I, I feel recharged when I come back, re-energized. And in sports, and I've talked to this with some of the clients that I have that work in sports, you know, the schedule, like you don't have a lot of autonomy in sports, but you know exactly when you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be. It doesn't change year to year. And you just brought it up. I'm amazed that more and more people don't say, hey, for this month, you can unplug. Like, go do something else. Go climb Everest. It doesn't, not maybe not Everest, but go climb a mountain. Go be off the grid. It's totally cool. This month, it's yours. And especially in your league where uh, we're recording this in August. Yeah, it gets intense from August, hopefully, to February, right? You got that window. And then if you're in the front office, of course, you have a sprint for the draft and free agency. But there are these windows where it doesn't have to be that way. And for a lot of people that are listening to this, your business is similar. Like maybe summertime, you can be off, off the grid a little bit. Take those month, a month off or two weeks or two months. Uh, for me personally, this is the first year I've done this. And I've been doing this work for 12 years. This is the first year I said, you know what, July and August. August, I don't need to see individual clients. And guess what? In September, they'll be there. <laughs> they, they ain't leaving. And they're actually respecting me for saying, hey, July and August, I'm going to do some podcasting, do some writing, play a lot of golf, uh, be with my kids, go on vacation, do some other things. Um, and I didn't know it was possible. And so for for you in your world, and, and as you're thinking about Sean, or you're thinking about the Aaron Donalds, and you're thinking about sustaining success, how much are like these mini sabbaticals coming up? How, how much are you thinking about it for yourself? Because at the end of the day, that rest often is what we need for growth. Like the stress is the stress. We need the stress. But I think it was Brad Stolberg and Steve uh, Magnus in their book, Peak Performance. They said, stress plus rest equals growth. And I see it in sports all the time. We don't always rest. And even for the players, I mean, your sport is brutally physical. They need rest. Their body needs needs a break. 
uh, from some of the abuse that it takes. So I, I, when you're talking, I'm, I'm so curious if this will continue to get infused into our, our sports leagues, because I think we are way healthier when we get that rest and we actually have opportunities like Bronco, the amount of notes he has from his sabbatical, the wisdom that he's cleaned is immense. So I know I went on a, a, a tangent there, but any, you got great points. I, I think I often tell our younger leaders, Hey, the best thing you can do is onboard people and uh, onboard people that can execute, right? Really, really well to do engineered systems that you're no longer lead, needed. And everybody's like, well, then, then the Rams don't need me. I said, no, but usually if you do that, people recognize like, wow, look at that person's department. It is a well-old machine, right? So we want that person leading you. So that that's, and I always go that at the, if you have that wisdom, there is this element, right? You yourself as a leader, there's there always say the main thing is the main thing. What, what is your not to do list? Right. And, and not just, I, sometimes I think you mentioned not just the four weeks in the summer, but okay. What is your, how are you going to be intentional after the season? How are you going to be intentional even in the midst of a, of a off season and this, in the kind of the, the stress and drudgery of that, of going, you know what? I'm responsible for these three things and uh, others are going to be responsible for the seven. So what's your not to do list? I think that's great. I, going back to it in sports, we just went through it with Sean. We would, it, it wasn't necessarily probably engineered or designed, but one of the best case studies of all time was probably when coach K had the back issue and basically had to miss the season. End of the day, back healthy, probably similar to Bronco, away from the stress and drudgery of what's the score that night. All those things, he probably recalibrated, reapplied. Point being is, isn't it better for Coach K and Duke basketball that that, let's call it bad luck, turned into, you know what, I'm going to stay at Duke now for, I mean, sometimes I've mentioned to Sean, I think Coach K was at Duke longer than Sean's been on the planet as head basketball coach. Point being is a lot of times you see that moment where, you know what, Coach K retires or, you know, has to resign, back injury, gets fresh, maybe does TV, comes back and coaches Kentucky or something. But that's kind of where I've always said with with us, with Sean, is, hey, how can we, how can we implement sabbaticals within the seasons of the – of the phases of football so that everyone's fresh, everyone's ready to dominate. Continuity helps. Anytime some of our younger coaches, younger front office people get, oh, they get their GM job for the first time, they're, hey, I'm like, okay, don't even try to do what we're doing because that just takes time, right, to figure out, hey, do you have people who can actually do those seven things that you won't done well, but – Right. You you're you can't necessarily you don't necessarily know if you can hand that off yet. So it's so we, we we've been going for about an hour. There's one question I just want to get to before we close, which is let's go back to 2019. I think the Super Bowl was like February 3rd. You lose the Super Bowl. What does the next morning look like for you? Uh oh man. 
it's one of those moments where usually you wake up from, you know, you have the bad dream and you wake up and you're like, okay, wow, that's okay. I'm up. This is okay. That didn't occur. That's one of those moments where you probably not many moments in a human life where you wake up and you actually regret waking up uh, because that's when you realize, wow, we were skiing for the gold medal and okay. The silver medals. Okay. That's we were on the podium. That was, but you realize, wow, are, are we going to ever get a chance to ski for the gold medal? game? So you just realize the magnitude of the moment and not necessarily finishing first, but finishing second when it gets down to a, right, a two team uh, tournament. And it's one of those where, like I said, most humans wake up and say, you know what? I'm, I'm glad I'm, I woke up today. That's one where you're going to regret waking up because, and because it, it, the day after, the pain is still raw. So, so many years later, even before we won a Super Bowl, I can't say this, the pain dissipates. It doesn't hurt, but the regret is, it's like a toothache or it, it just eats at you. And there's going to always be this moment where you're going to be driving and you're, you're going to be listening to a podcast. Your mind's going to wonder what if we don't want that you so that's one thing. So it, it it I can't say it's neat to have won one to probably erase that regret. Uh and it's also neat to have won one to be able to juxtapose right the two day afters. Yeah, what was that the day, day was the day after the Super Bowl? I was gonna ask you that three years later. Uh, I think it was a little later because you guys extended the season, whatever. I think it was like February 14, 2022, uh, the day after you win a Super Bowl. What was it like for you? Yeah, I think the day after you're, you're, you're probably – I was more exhausted because you stay up later. <laughs> you actually go to the after party, per se, and you actually enjoy it. I think the neat thing about the day after it is when you wake up, the amount of – text messages you get from uh, people from your whole timeline of life, right? So it might've been someone you went to kindergarten with and you, now I'm from a small town, so that's different. You usually kind of know those people. But point me, it might be someone who you went to kindergarten with and you haven't really talked to them. They moved for whatever reason from kindergarten. You hadn't talked to them and somehow you went a Super Bowl, and because it's the platform it is, the stage that it is, that person then figures out how to get your cell phone and you actually get right a text message. Obviously, the text message doesn't have a name attached to it and because it's not in context, but it's like, hey, Les, so-and-so from kindergarten, Jack, to see you on that podium laugh. feel like I won. So point being is I think that's the neat thing of, of what you, you – I would, I would sum it up by this. You feel like you're more happy for other people than yourself. Like to see Aaron Donald as excited as he was, to see Matthew Stafford for that friend that reached out, whomever, for your former high school coach, you're, you're, you're just legitimately more fulfilled for other people for the accomplishment that the collective accomplished than yourself. I want to just go back to the the morning where you, you know, wish you didn't wake up and, you know, after a loss. Was I'm there, actually glad I woke up, but in the moment I was like, oh, I woke up. Was there a text you got 
then that has stuck with you that resonated with you or that you were grateful for? It, going back, I mentioned my high school coach. Uh, his name's Wayne Woodham. You follow high school. Uh, obviously retired now. He He's someone that will, I'd say he's the one person that will text after losses. So I think, and, and, and still, and it's interesting, right? High school educator, high school coach, still trying to be, right, your coach. At that point in time, I'm I'm not sure I was 50 years old, but you think I was getting close to it, but you're like, oh, wow, that is pretty neat. Your high school coach is still trying to, right, in that moment, help you through a tough loss. Because I think the uh, wins, so wins are easy to text, right? Like, you know they want it. You know they're excited. What I always struggle with is when the bad things happen, you know, are you – reaching out to them to let them know you're thinking of them too. And I've learned this through death and through tough things is that um, I think the fear that most of us have is that we'll say the wrong thing. But the reality is you're playing in the freaking Super Bowl. Like they know what your role is in the Super Bowl. And I've learned to just say, you know what? I'm not going to say the right thing because there's not a right thing to say, but I want them to know I got their back, whether they win or they lose. And in my conversations with sports leaders, coaches, general managers, especially coaches, actually, they're the ones that say, hey, man, if you're with me when I win, I'll need you to be with me when I lose. Um, but maybe it's different for everybody. But I've just erred on the side of like, I'm going to reach out, especially when the hard times come, because they need to know I got their back then just as much as they need to know I'm celebrating with them when they win. Excellent point. And I think that I think those in your inner circle, right, know that. And those are the ones you can count on and, and know the timing of it all. It, there's interesting. You can you can lose in a in a very tough way. And there is an element where even Coach Woodham might might wait till the next morning to hit the text. It's like, OK, that's that was an excruciating. Right. You may have lost on a last second play or something. And it's whatever happens. There's there's levels of losses. And there's timing, but you're right. The hearing from the inner circle. As I close, I'd love for you to just paint the vision. Like what does success look like for you? If you think of a, a decade from now uh, and you feel like, you know, Hey man, it's, it's been a great 10 years. Let's say you're, you know, you're in Theo Epstein mode and you're like, all right, what are the next 10 years? Let's, let's paint the picture. What, how would you define success for the next 10 years? Next 10 years, defining success. Wow. Because I, I, I'm probably awful at that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm probably more stoic. Uh, so next 10 years is is probably, would be summed up as, let's make the moment. Let's make the most of this particular moment. Let's be aware of that moment. So there's two sides of that, being aware of that moment. Like, the, as the Stoics would say, it doesn't really matter at all. But in that moment, it's all that matters. So being able to apply that perspective and, and embrace the moment. Uh, and then maybe in 10 years, I'll come back on the podcast and go, okay, I'm I'm more enlightened and, and here's a, a broader broader answer. But in but in sports, you know what? Let's uh, let's be known that you know we had the courage to try to be one of thirty two. 
Seems like a beautiful place for us to close. Uh, Les, is there a nonprofit or something that you want to plug or give a shout out to something that you're involved with? Obviously you mentioned Jim Collins throughout today. If you're unfamiliar with Jim's work, obviously best-selling author, one of the best nonfiction authors of all time. Um, I know you're a big fan of Ryan Holiday's work on stoicism. Um, but is there another, is there an organization or something that you want to give a platform to and, and use this time and to shout them out? You know what I'll, I'll shout out going back to high school football and I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the, uh, I'm on a board at uh, university of Virginia's school of education. End of the day is this is uh, uh, I was a single uh, son of a single mom. So often I say I was fathered by football and there's a derivative of that a lot of times those football coaches were, were also full-time teachers at the school. So big proponent of educators, teachers, right? The responsibility they have, boy, the stress and drudgery that they have, right? Of the, the compound interest of, of having 30 something, uh, young kids, teenagers in a room and, and trying to make a difference in their life. So really not a specific organization, but definitely always like to shout out, uh, right. Very similar to first responders, the teachers, the coaches at those levels, because it's a, you know, the, we have stress and drudgery, but there's an element of monetary reward at the professional sports where, where, where they have less at their level, but they're just as passionate, just as caring. And, and basically they're, they're almost like farmers, right? They're, they're planting seeds. They're going to become trees uh, later in life. So if that second grade teacher, that fifth grade teacher, that middle school coach or that high school assistant coach, they're pouring into a young kid, not necessarily for that moment, but for many moments in the future. I think it's a great place for us to stop. You talked to, before we started recording that you're an empty nester. So you've planted some seeds that are now growing and, and going off in the universe. And then you're planting seeds with the LA Rams in a relatively new city and building a culture and an organization that has a long history, um, but it's moved around a little bit. Uh, so I'm excited to see where those seeds grow. We'll take it day by day and see where those seeds land 10 years from now. Uh, if you like this conversation, certainly check out my conversation with Bronco. It was one of my favorite episodes. I'm not one of these people that remembers exactly what episode, when it was, but Bronco Mendenhall was an amazing guest. Tara Vanderveer, who I mentioned earlier, also an amazing guest. Um, and Ryan Holiday, who I just mentioned, has been one of our favorite podcasts. Oh, I'm going right to the Bronco <laughs> podcast. Just... It's, an, it's, it's an enlightening conversation conversation. I, I get feedback from people. Sometimes I'll reach out and his was one of our, our favorites that people listen to. Um, you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. And if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn and Twitter, are the best places at Brian Levinson last excited to watch you guys compete this year. Um, look forward to meeting you in person at some point. We've, we've tried to make it happen in the past. Sometimes. Oh yes. Yeah. Les was was planning to come to a, a retreat, but oh, that would have been Bowl. nice too. He, he had a Super Bowl uh, ring ceremony to attend to, so hopefully we never meet because you've got ring ceremonies to go to. I wish that for your future. Um, and thanks to Sam Walker for originally connecting us. And you can also listen to my conversation with Sam as well at strongskills.co/podcast. Les, appreciate you. Best of luck. Um, enjoy the rest of your summer. And you know what we should end on though, Brian. What the day Sam was doing your podcast. I was staying at his apartment in New York City. I don't know if he told you this, but somebody, had, a FedEx package had arrived 
So there was, there was a doorbell buzzing. I said, Sam, I'll go get the FedEx package. I go down there barefooted. I take no keys with me. So I get the FedEx package. I have no phone, no keys. Can't get up the elevator because you need keys to get to that floor. I can't call Sam. Realize I'm in the lobby of a New York City apartment barefooted. And everyone's looking at me like, okay, should we call the police? But I respected Sam's time with you and just hung out and meditated in the lobby of Sam's apartment building while he did your podcast. I wish he had a ring cam so we could just pull up the, the video footage of you hanging out on another podcast. I'll share this story about how I got locked out of my room the day of my wedding in my boxers. And uh, we'll, we'll tease that for, for the listeners. It's worse story than your story, Les. Um, but I appreciate that. I remember him saying that you were coming to visit and his dog was barking and then the doorbell was ringing. There were all these times where we had to pause it, but I'm surprised he didn't he didn't figure out that you were. You were well, there. I think I, I was a part of solving the doorbell ring because it was a FedEx package. That, so I said, I'll go solve this problem for you. But. I was like a fireman that wasn't prepared. I <laughs> I hauled ass out of the apartment building, flew down the pole, no shoes on, no keys to get back up, not even a phone to text, or not even a phone to to doodle on while I was waiting for him to get through with well, so it. I guess the I, moment of accomplishing, I couldn't go walk down, I couldn't go walk to the park because I'm barefooted. Technically, I could have walked in Washington Park and probably been right at home you would have been good they would my i have a friend who lived in new york for a long time and he said i love new york because i can like bark on the street and do all kinds of crazy things and nobody will look at me like i'm crazy they'll just think i'm i'm normal but uh last this is great appreciate it and glad sam didn't say after recording hey you should just never talk to that guy and that it was decent enough that we could we could make this happen so i appreciate it. i know you're busy so uh thanks for coming on and, and we'll talk soon enjoyed it Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. How do we make sure our continuity is an edge for us and not stale, right? Because continuity can be, okay, we're, we're burnt out, we're stale. So that's, that's one thing. And you got to be very, very intentional about it. And especially with, with Sean and all he accomplished and the stress and drudgery uh, of that definitely takes a toll and, and jim collins will say it if you if you're trying to accomplish great there's going to be stress and drudgery there's going to be elements of now you got to try to keep it in balance and at that point there is a point where it can become too much and right you need you need to step away what we intentionally tried to do is is there a way right to step away at different times during the year uh, probably sporadically instead of just, hey, retiring 